Welcome to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 98, I think. I'm Tammy. I'm Michelle. And we've been sitting here chatting like forever before we even started and just catching up. So I do have to talk about Lisi. Is that all right? Yeah. I mean, it's like a huge thing. So we have, I'll post some pictures and I was doing last minute preparations for this episode when this little bit, we got a a kitten yesterday. Her name is Lisi. She's probably eight, 10 weeks old. We got her from rescue, mainly for a companion for Charlie, because I don't want another dog, but she, they've been doing really well. Charlie's been very respectful, but she hasn't been super snuggly, although the foster said she was, but right as I'm trying to prepare is when she decided to climb up on me and just snuggle, snuggle, snuggle purr. So now I'm in the podcast closet and she's moved now, but I had Lisi on my lap and Charlie at my feet. And I chose to sit on a stool by a shelf, which is very uncomfortable. So that's my catch up. How about yours? Your kitten is so cute. Absolutely cute. Post, post pictures. I do break into, I think you know this about me, Michelle. I don't think we were doing the podcast together when I first got Charlie, but I do, I do become a little bit neurotic when I have a new pet, a pet when I have something to take care of. So, you know, I'm sort of like when we're gone, is she okay? Went to church, you know, she all right. Is she sleeping? Is she lonely? Is she sad? Does she miss us? Um, I did not leave her with Charlie. I left her enclosed. So yeah, that's the new thing for us. What about you? Did she meow throughout the night? Nope. She did not. She does have a little cat tower that I built. Yes. Let's see. Do I have anything new? Yeah going on I don't know that there's anything new I think I told you I'm, I'm gonna um getting ready to run a 15k in two weeks so no you did not tell me that oh well yes 15k two weeks the hot chocolate run Ooh. You get chocolate at the end I mean are you surprised that that was my incentive for I am I am not surprised yeah um and then uh so a, a couple of friends and I are, we also signed up for the half marathon in April. So this was kind of an in between to try to get ready. I've never um, done a half marathon. I've never done more than a 5k. So this is kind of a goal. Um, I can't believe you didn't tell me that. That's huge. You were saving it for today. So I would be like yes. super surprised. Yeah. Okay. So where is it? Is it Nashville? Both of them are both, in Nashville. Both are in Nashville. Yes. Both are in Nashville. And then, so on the 12th, my, um, which is when the 15k is February 12th my sister and niece are coming that day and and we're going to dinner and then to see Mean Girls at TPAC so I'm really looking forward to that that sounds like so much fun yeah I'm super excited no it was between Lion King and Mean Girls and uh, my niece was like Mean Girls she's 13 so of course she's going to see Mean Girls I'm going to say something that might elicit some haters but I did not like the Lion King did you go at TPAC? Not at, uh, well, we went to TPAC years ago when it was here. And, okay. but, but the reason I didn't, there's just one is that my, my oldest son, well, actually most, all three of my kids were the Lion King age. So we watched it when they were kids, you know, the, the cartoon, the original right, right. Yes. over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And this was so different. And I was like, nope, I don't like that. Mm-mm. They changed that. <laughs> nope, did not. I mean, you know, that just, it, because yeah. the memories are so deep. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. A good choice. And and wait, big ultimate question. Is this leading up to a full marathon? No, I have no interest in Never? I had any. No, I think it's just, I just 
for me, I think I know my body. I think it would be too hard on my body. I think a half is, I mean, I might do more halves if this goes well, but I don't want to do a full. That is so exciting. I, and when is that one? February 12th for the 15K and right. April 23rd for the half. Okay. I want to try to come, you know, Jamie did the Disney full marathon. He did like different half marathons too, but he did the Disney marathon and almost killed him. But um, I remember you talking about it. Yeah. Another good reason not to do a full marathon. <laughs> well, it was, it was in the eighties, which you would never expect in January in Florida, but it did. So they had to shut it down early. He, he made it through before they shut it down. And I was so inspired and I wanted to do a marathon and I started running again, but my knees just won't take it. We really went way far off on our topic yeah. for the day, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm very excited. I really am. So thank you. I'll mark it on my calendar. Um, what we have to talk about today is not nearly as fun, but that's hard. Today's a difficult topic for sure. It is. It is. Michelle texted me before we recorded and she said, this is going to be tough. Um, and we, we haven't talked really. So we did this last time with Kim Potter too, but even more so this time we each did our own reading. We each did our own takes. Um, with Kim Potter, I think we we basically kind of came to the same lessons, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But with Ghislaine, and which, by the way, I think there's a lot of controversy on how to say her name, but I'm going to say Ghislaine. Um, we, we really had two different takes. So we thought what we would do is just talk a little bit about the history of, and I'll do that, you know, of her growing up, um, how she came to be the woman uh, that she is. And then we'll talk a little bit about what happened and maybe a couple of things about the trial. And then we'll just each talk about what we took away from it, which are very different, which is so good because I think it's going to help you a lot. Um, the links will be in the show notes. So what I'm going to read now is some direct quoting and some paraphrasing, and it's from a BBC article. So this is the history that comes from there. Oh, and, and we forgot to make our disclaimer that the goal in this series is not to you know, judge guilty or innocent, although I'm sure we're basing it on some presumptions, but this is not about, this is not like a crime podcast. We're trying to dissect the details and, and find out what could have happened or would have happened or any of that. We just want to look at the story and see what we can learn as women that might help us, even though we haven't been through exactly what she's going through. Right. Yes. Okay. Or, yeah. Or what the women that were involved when this went through. Right, right. Okay, so let me try to stay on track here and get through this part as quickly as possible. So again, I am going to read to a fair degree so I can get through it. So Maxwell, who is 60, was found guilty of sex trafficking of a minor, transporting a minor with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, and three related counts of conspiracy and faces up to 65 years in prison. She was born actually on Christmas Day, 1961, and three days later, a car carrying her 15-year-old brother crashed. Her brother, Michael, spent the remaining seven years of his life in a coma. And this was important, really, to how her life transpired. So although she had been born into material abundance and wealth, Ghislaine's earliest years were disfigured by emotional neglect. Her mother, Betty, later admitted in her memoir that after Michael's accident, the baby, Ghislaine, was hardly given a glance by her devastated parents. And this, I heard this story in a podcast the other day, too. One day in 1965, according to her mother, three-year-old Ghislaine stood in front of her and said, Mommy, I exist. 
that he also believed that she developed anorexia. So to compensate from this point, her parents went to the opposite extreme and began lavishing affection on her on the youngest child. Though she was never spared the abuse and the rages her father would inflict on every one of his offspring, she was the favorite. And her mom later wrote that the favorite daughter became spoiled, the only one she could truly say that about. She was raised raised in wealth in a mansion in the UK. Lavish parties were thrown with politicians and celebrities and media. But after the VIPs left the building, it was emotional. It was an emotionally austere place to grow up. They would be interrogated at the dinner table about politics or their plans for the future and reduced to tears if he considered their answers unsatisfactory. That's the father. He would beat us with a belt, girls as well as boys, as boys, another of the siblings said. Now, later in life, she was described as a socialite rather than a businesswoman. She, and I don't know if you read this, Michelle, but this, this was very interesting when it comes to women and, you know, working with other women. She founded a kind of private members club exclusively for women. And one of the, the members says, my recollection is that she was kind, kind of breezily charming to other women, but I don't remember her being a very close friend of another woman. I think that women were really important to her only as a means to get to another powerful man. In January of 1991, her father was found dead floating in the sea. Um, she was inconsolable at the loss of her father. Soon enough, though, it came out that Robert Maxwell, and this is definitely me paraphrasing, had done a bunch of bad things financially, lots of things to his investors. But Ghislaine continued to defend him. While the rest of the siblings accepted his death was either accident or suicide, she insisted it was murder. She went to New York and reportedly she had only about $106,000 a year income, but lived in a house that would have never, that would never have covered it. Years later, prosecutors suggested the property had been funded by Jeffrey Epstein. And this is when she really starts. So this was in 1992 that she starts this relationship with Epstein. So that's, that's kind of my summary, Michelle, is there anything else that you had as far as background? You know, she's raised in this, she was basically had this charmed life, except, you know, behind closed doors. Right. No, that's I mean, more thorough than what I had had read for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently her father was was quite the tyrant. So then jumping forward, um, I'm just going to read a, a just basically what happened here. And then you can you told me you read a lot of things about uh, not, maybe not a lot of things, but you read some things about what the girls involved in this said. So in 2005, I think this is kind of when all this began. The parents of a 14-year-old girl told police that Epstein had molested their daughter, and three years later, he received an 18-month prison sentence. After his release, the allegations began to snowball. He was accused of running a vast network of girls for sex. He was arrested again on 2019 on charges of sex trafficking and died in his prison cell just over a month later. You know, there's, there's, is it, was it suicide? Was he killed? Um, but then the authorities focus turned to Maxwell. So now the the trial is over and she has been convicted on some of these charges and basically accused of being the woman who really helped him to go and get these girls and bring them into this sex trafficking ring. 
And that's kind of where you have some things. It's just a, it's an awful thing. A woman doing this to women. Very young women. Yeah. Um, 14, like uh, it may have been younger than that for some, but the, the ones in the story I read, like the youngest was 14. There was a couple of 14 year olds and um, their stories when they testified were all very similar. Like it was a, a similar pattern mm-hmm. that she would use, like similar terminology. Um, one of the girls made the statement that, you know, it started out where they really just visited with her. She was young. She was 14. They were giving her time, attention. There wasn't anything sexual in the beginning. And then it was right. a couple months in before that started and that um they approached it all as just very very normal and she said just felt very confusing that you know they seemed to think it was very normal but she didn't feel that it was normal she had a lot of shame didn't want to share and so i mean this the stories were fairly mm-hmm. similar in that um they had asked the one one 14 year old to to leave the country with them and the um, girl protested that their, her mother wouldn't allow her to leave the country and not a lot of information in the article I read about like how they even convinced a mother to allow their 14 year old daughter to kind of go hang out with them I'm not well I know I'm one of the we did watch a documentary and I don't know if this is the same one you're talking about but it was I, I know that one of the women was an artist her young girls was an artist and so the the reason she was able to go, I'm sure with her parents letting her, is that this was a great opportunity for her because they promised her, you know, to assist her and help her get in galleries or I, I may not be saying that exactly right, but there were it's like what you said, it seems so normal. And there in the beginning it wasn't did the mom was an artist or the daughter? The, the child, the daughter. Daughter. Okay. So when you said how could you, you know, convince your mom to go hang out with these people? I think it was, I mean, they had great wealth and it was, it was like an honor, right. To be asked to go spend time with these famous people. Right. Hard. I mean, they could have presented themselves as like philanthropists who were just trying to help right. people. I mean, we don't know. I think that's something else we talked about is how little information there is on that side of it in terms of like who, Ghislaine Maxwell was I mean like most of the the things you hear in terms of her voice on her story it comes from these women who are testifying mm-hmm. I mean she doesn't make comments right about this or what happened or about her relationship with these people I mean like one of the articles I read it's like she going through the trial they were saying she was married and no one even knew she was married but she'd been married for multiple years and so she kept everything so incredibly private. Very private. Yeah. I did read that she did say she was a scapegoat, you know, for his activities. That was the defense, was that she was a scapegoat. Well, according to the the women who testified, she absolutely was essential in bringing them there and sometimes participated in the social activity. So yes. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, when, when everyone is saying the same thing. And she was convicted. I mean, of course, we always say, you know, we exactly what happened. You know, obviously, yeah. we're not privileged to that. But their stories were the same, and they said she would participate. So I think it seems more than that. 
Yeah. And I mean, we have a while. I, I've read a couple conflicting things, but I think that there's a tentative uh, sentencing date on June 28th. And let's see, five, she was found guilty after not very many hours of deliberation. The trial began on November 29th and finished up on December 29th. And she was found guilty of sex trafficking of a minor, transporting a minor with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity and three related counts of conspiracy. She was acquitted on the charge of enticing a minor to travel to engage in a legal, illegal sex act. So she faces up to 65 years in prison. So we'll definitely, just like with Kim Potter, we'll keep an eye and in the show notes, we'll post all the links. And then on our Facebook page, we will post like any updates that we find. And we would love for you all to do that too. Um, so I think that's basically her and what happened. But the point of what we're doing is to focus on you, you know, and how this can apply to you. And we, we both took a couple of different takes on this. Um, do you want like first thought, like, I think the majority of people would be like, this has no application to me. This story oh, no. is like, so, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm going to be doing this in my no, life. So. Not something I'm going to be doing, not something, you know, so, but like, again, we picked several people from the news and just kind of looking at it. And I think that's probably how we ended up with completely different lessons or takes from it because it is just like it's out there what is and it's you know if I'm gonna watch something like or watch something like this on the news or read something like this um I I do find my mind I think I said this before when we first started talking about doing this um part of the thing was I know when I listen to my crime podcast I just don't think about the crime especially if it's a female involved in the crime I think about or as a victim or as the criminal, I'm like, how did she feel? And how did this happen? And, and I do wind up thinking of myself and other things that I've done, even if it's not that deep, you know, or that, that bad. So do you want me to talk about what I took from it first? Or do you want to talk? I, about what hmm? I, always, I always say you can, so you know, you should just go. Okay. <laughs> and we haven't really talked much about this at all, but I, you know, I, I really, I think what makes this feel so much worse for a lot of women is the fact that it was a woman hurting other women. You know, when you see sex trafficking cases, um, it is more often than not men. However, there are actually a lot of women who will be involved in recruiting women for this type of thing. But this one was so public. And when you think how could a woman do this to another woman? Now, like Michelle said, you might be thinking, well, no, I'm not going to do that. But we, we do sometimes hurt other women. And I thought, well, why does it, why does it feel so bad to be hurt by another woman? So I, when I did my dissertation, you know, I had conversations with a bunch of women and this, this was from a fake, fake name. Her name, fake name was Mache. And she says, God, what? I said, it's not me. <laughs> no, it's not you. <laughs> you were you were not part of my dissertation. Um, she said, God placed good friends in my life. And that counterbalance, just being able to let it out and talk about what's going on 
with somebody. And a girl tends to care more about her girlfriend. You know, guys don't always have the sensitivity of wanting to know exactly all that happened and being detail oriented. We could tell each other details, what's going on, what happened and try and help build each other up through it. No, I'm not naive. I know that's not always the case, but I think many of us on this level, we, we, we have this deep connections. Like I have a deep connection with you. I can tell you so many things. And so to be betrayed by that. um, And also there's a lot written about, you know, we as a gender can be um, pushed down. We, it's Mm -hmm. tough for us sometimes to climb. And so what we'd like is for us to support one another and build each other up and help each other. So to see a woman do this to another woman is just devastating. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, I hadn't thought about that way, but you're exactly right. Like women do form deeper relationships when you think about your really, really good friends. Yeah. I mean, you share more than you would um, probably in, in, in other relationships. I think that it's hard to know like how with, with this, like there was just, it's the betrayal. And I do think women process that probably a little differently. Like obviously in this story, I mean, she wasn't really these women's friends. I mean, she no. maybe pretended that and then, betrayed them and the hurt from that so you're hurting because you've been you know something bad's happened you're hurting because Mm -hmm. someone you trusted Mm -hmm. turned out not to be someone you could trust and you can imagine the girls who were involved in this were not girls who had everything just wonderful in their lives you know these were girls who were already hurting who already needed and it appeared that she knew how to latch onto that. To use which, that. To use that. She used it. Yeah. So I guess my point here, what I took away from it, if I can like learn things about myself, you know, betrayal for women can look in a bunch of different ways, right? It doesn't have to look like I recruited you for a sex trafficking ring. It can be talking smack about another woman behind her back to make you look better. It can be not including somebody um, who is hurting because maybe they don't fit in with some defined parameter that we have. It could be um, competing someone using someone for your own gain. Yeah. This woman did here. Yeah. Yes. And so there are lots of different ways where women can hurt other women. And just so I won't go on and on. I found an article from the Huffington post And it's three reasons why um, women hurt other women. So I won't read the whole article, but what I really loved is this psychologist, she had three reasons that women do that. But then what she had wasn't just the reason, but was here's the work that we need to do on this if this is something you're doing. So I thought I would just go through those real quick. Um, So she talks about three places, listen to the way she describes it, three places within the self that could be explored as a healing path toward positive female connections. And and let me say this too, sorry. Um, Anybody who knows me well knows that I love uh, Judith Baker, Jean Baker Miller. And she wrote a book called um, A New Psychology for Women. And in it, she talks about the fact that everybody, but especially women 
grow and thrive within the context of positive relationships. So if we can strive toward healing and positive relationships, how much better would that be? So the first one that she says is a place where we can strive to have better relationships is envy. She says, when women envy each other, places go dark very quickly. So envy just means I want what she has. It's a, it's a, it's a very common human emotion. It's very natural, but it could be that woman's hair, that woman's skin, that woman's job, that woman's friends, that woman's position in the church, that woman's husband, that woman's, you know, significant other, whatever it is. And then she says, the work here is to feel complete in your own sense of self and to feel satisfied with your natural gifts and your natural beauty. Every woman is uniquely herself. And as women, we need to honor that as much as we would with our own daughters. Isn't that beautiful? It's really beautiful. So I love that it's not just about, oh, here's the reasons women hurt each other. It's looking at is, here's a path toward healing. The second one she talks about is competition. And she says, we tend to feel a sense of competition toward each other because we're trained to feel threatened. And often this competition is strongest around the pursuit of like a spouse or a significant other. And so, oh, and sometimes women will decide, they don't really think they're deciding it, but they are deciding it to pursue another woman's boyfriend rather than just stand aside and support her happiness. And so here's the work. The work here is to turn the need for competition into collaboration as the feeling of needing to conquer transforms into the realization that one happy woman is the path to our own sense of happiness. And I thought that was beautiful too. So rather than compete, collaborate. Now, and listen, this is not to say that we don't we don't need to strive to achieve our goals and we don't need to, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean squash all that. And we always have to work together in kumbaya, but collaboration when it comes to our, to our friendships and our life, rather than knockout competing moves us toward a sense of happiness. And the last one is self-worth. When women feel unworthy, they act from a place of desperation resulting in behaviors that are not aligned with women or with being a woman standing in her full power. So if your self-worth self-worth is low, our behaviors come out in a way that they would not if we were confident and strong. So the work here is to look internally for self-worth and to stay surrounded with people that support the strength and beauty inherent in all women. So don't be just buddying around all the time with people who destroy your self-worth. Try to connect yourself with women and people, men as well, who lift you up and they do appreciate the internal beauty of every single woman. So that's what I took out of it. I know from sex trafficking to self <laughs> Like of those three, like reading this story, like, did you feel like any of them like stood out when reading this? For me or in light of Ghislaine? In light of the Ghislaine. Um, you know. I, I feel it It seemed to me like she went from a place of privilege and power. Um, and then they, they basically lost everything. When all this came out about her dad, there were a lot of details there, but she went from that 
to nothing. And I think for a while in New York, when she moved, nobody really knew who she was. So it feels to me like, I don't know that it was envy. Um, I don't think it was envy. I didn't feel so much about competition. I feel like it might've been self-worth in part because she was at a place where she needed to feel important again and powerful again, but that's just me, you know? So it could have been all three. Yeah. In that scenario. Yeah. That you just described. And so like, I went kind of in a different direction in terms of what I took from it. And as we've said, like, we don't talk about this before um, the podcast. So we will have different perspectives and views and so forth. And so like the two ways in reading and about this, like I looked at it from um, like a perspective of kind of looking at what someone's normal is and belief systems. And so one of the things that like in, in researching her and in the situation, even before I read about the women's testimonies in court, like it just seemed like they had this normal that would be considered very unusual. Mm -hmm. And so like the life they lived, the things that happened, you know, would be considered by most people to be, you know, not normally inappropriate and so forth. And they kind of lived as if that was their normal. So when I'm looking at something, I'm looking at, okay, like what is like this person's normal and is the normal like healthy and conducive of what they are trying to accomplish in life and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so um, and that's separate from Ghislaine, but like her normal just seemed to be mm. so destructive, destructive yeah. for others. And it's hard to know. It seems like it would be destructive for her, but I mean, obviously we don't know and she doesn't comment on stuff. So there's nothing there to, to really read, but in the application, um, to others, cause that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take this and kind of get what we can from it is like kind of asking myself, like what times in my life has my normal not been conducive of where I want to go or healthy? And I had shared earlier with you that I have had to recognize kind of earlier in life that I had allowed just due to kind of, you know, some different dysfunctions, yeah, a high level of stress in my life to be normal. Like, and had like, to this is just the way life is. This is the way life is. This is the way people, you know, like you didn't even question it, probably. No, within a family system, interact. Um, I was kind of used to people's moods being very up and down quickly. And so, like, to have to recognize, like, that's not really a healthy normal. It's not what I want my healthy normal to be. And so, kind of looking at, okay, where am I right now? Is my normal healthy? what kind of things could be changed if they're not? I mean, and this is, of course, a very extreme example. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, out, out. But mm -hmm. I think it could apply to, to anything. Like, what are you so used to? What have you been living with for so long that's destructive, but it doesn't even feel abnormal anymore? You know, I wonder, too, um, with Ghislaine, some of the things that I read, and I think I read one sentence about this, there was a woman in that club that she had started that said she just kind of seemed to look at women as just a way to help her get to another man. And I don't think this part was in here. I think I listened to it or saw it on a podcast that a, a woman said when she had encountered her in social settings, and this was before her dad had passed and everything. So she was like a young adult that she would just sort of look past you 
to find the next more important person. So it it almost seems like a normal for her might have been only really associating herself with really important people. So when she went out to do these things with Jeffrey, these young girls who were nobodies probably didn't even really seem like people. People, yeah. And like commodities. Any, like what you shared about her background and like the way things were growing up with the like criticism, the yelling and so forth. I mean, sometimes people have a tendency to shut down their emotions when they're living in something like that or they have a tendency to compartmentalize yeah, thing. I mean, so we don't know that that happened, but obviously she to this day hasn't really shown any remorse about any of this. Yeah. And so there's something, you know, there. But that that whole normal thing, too, and I shared with you, I haven't really talked about this, but I don't think we've talked about this in the podcast that I discovered that the man who carjacked me had murdered someone just a week prior so that I don't know all the details, but but I was telling you that the day that it happened to me, there was a woman who was working in the cafeteria who was, um, she said, well, if that had been me, I would have, I don't know what she said. You know, it's a good thing it wasn't me, but her normal was growing up around quite a bit of crime. She shared with me, you know, there's a lot of crime in her area. So her normal and my normal were so different for her to have somebody just pull you out of a car may have been no big deal. Um, but for me, that wasn't what I lived in at all. I had never experienced what I considered to be a, a violent crime. Um, so, you know, your normal does affect so much, even yeah. if it's not a healthy normal. It does. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so, yeah, think about that. And then the there was, yeah, what was the other one? That, so I also talked, um, we talked about belief systems, you know, in like it, it's difficult in this scenario like to know kind of growing up and so forth what this woman's belief system is mm-hmm. it kind of factors into the normal but again like what there's obviously just some things there where like bringing these young girls to these people like it it didn't register to her I mean it's, it doesn't seem to have mm-hmm. right right so I mean, that, that again kind of factors into the normal, but like it, I mean, or I guess, did she not think it's wrong? Did she shut down the emotion of, of feeling it's wrong or feeling, I mean, it's impossible to know, but. That's true. We don't know, but that's such an important thing because I think a lot of people, I mean, you do, you. what is your belief system? And if you, if like mine is Christianity, yours is Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that and more, but when we do a behavior that we're questioning, that should definitely be one of the, that should be the primary guide we use to determine whether we do that or not. And I think some right. people don't even know their belief system. Right. And, and recognizing that like, cause that was, I mean, that's my belief system as well. I mean, I was raised um, in the Christian faith and that is not every, the case with everyone. I mean, and so like people's belief systems, just like you said, with their normal come from their experiences, their background and so forth. And so um, I think being aware uh, Mm -hmm. that people's belief systems are different because I think that, you know, there are times when assuming that other people have our belief system can really Mm -hmm. cause a lot of, of pain. I mean, even talking about like, you know, carjacking, you know, like 
you probably, even if you'd seen that man, I mean, you wouldn't have thought he would have done that. Like his belief system was obviously completely different. Right. (laughs) Completely different. And so like assuming that you're safe because people's belief system are the same as yours could be destructive. Yeah, that, and I think about things too, with just, just like with our daily walk with other women, I need to remind myself that within my belief system, it is not okay to, you know, gossip about somebody or, you know, it's not okay if I'm not grateful or, you know, I mean, it's not to be a legalistic thing, but how is it that I want to live? You Absolutely. Know? Right. How is it that I want to interact with other women and, and all of that, it all comes together. Right. I think, I mean, the belief system is that you want a, a positive, encouraging, you know, all of those things, then some, some of these things you just mentioned that sometimes we do as women are really like opposite of that. Yeah. Well, if you can just take something away when you listen to this episode, you know, just think about what you want your relationship with other women to be like and how you can foster that. Um, you know, I got, I got hurt years ago by a very close woman friend and years later she came back to apologize and I found out what it was all about. And it meant so much to me. We never did rekindle our friendship. Um, not really, but at least I knew. And she wrote me a long note about why. And so, you know, I encourage you if you've, I, I know I've heard other women in my life. And if that's something that, you know, you've done, even if it never goes back to the way it was before an explanation, just in, a, in an apology just really goes a long way. So think about right. that. Absolutely. Oh, so we've done two. We've done Kim and we've done Ghislaine and we've gotten a couple of comments. So thank you, ladies. Those of you that are jumping in there to comment and because we don't we don't we don't know if if this is something that's helping you or not. If you'd like to see us stay in this direction or add more of this or something, please let us know because we love doing this this series yeah then we'd love to incorporate your comments like that the next person do you like the name I don't know like the name oh, next week? yes Elizabeth Holmes Elizabeth Holmes and so like any comments that you have that I mean we definitely could address and talk about it in the uh, oh good podcast yeah very different again so we've looked at three very different people and situations and right yeah Kim Potter the accidental you know killing of somebody and glenn maxwell with these young girls and what she did and now elizabeth holmes is more of a a financial thing that she did but we'll we'll have some interesting things to say about that particular situation all right girl we got it all i think so that was all i had okay well as always go to tamiwest.com get the show notes We'll have several links posted in there for the things that we talked about today. And we'd love your comments, whether it's there or if you're not part of the Facebook page, the link is there. Uh, The link to Michelle's business is there. And I think everything that you need, you can find right there in the show notes. So I'm excited. We'll start recording Elizabeth soon. Do Do you have anything else? Nope. Okay. Well, then until we're together next time, consider yourself. Hi, guys. Hey. <laughs>